0: Well, we are drawing to the end of the Gospel of Luke. Turn with me to Luke 22. And um, we are in the final hours before Jesus' death, just after the Last Supper. And I wanna talk on Jesus, the rejected Saviour. The rejected Saviour. I've spent time this week digging into this theme and I've never ever preached it before, how comprehensively, Jesus was rejected in His last hours before His death and what that means for us as people. Fear of rejection uh, and felt rejection is something common to us all, isn't it? Uh, Fear of rejection swarms around us. It hovers like a swarm of bees and, and when it lands, When we actually feel it, it stings and it leaves a deep sting. And I want us to to think for a moment and it's gonna take some time to to tee our souls up to receive the good news of the gospel by thinking about our fear of rejection and thinking about rejection that we have felt in all its different shades. It could be Dating could be marriage, it could be from parents, it could be from kids, that you felt rejection. Could be in a friend situation, in a job situation, you haven't got a job or been passed over for promotion. It could be sports tryouts, it could be in a church situation from a pastor or from someone in, in leadership. Rejection comes in, in, in many shades, doesn't it? And And sometimes it's really like, slam the door in your face, like you're dead to me kind of rejection, which is deeply painful. But other times, and it's no less painful, it's more subtle where you just get those overtones of like, you're not welcome here anymore. You ever been in that place? where It's like, oh, I'm not welcome here anymore. Maybe it's that dawning of realization that everyone got invited to the party except me. It's not the same as slam the door in your face, but it's like, ooh, I don't fit in here. Or otherwise it's our common cultural ghosting. I was talking to my daughter about ghosting amongst her generation where it's like, you've got a friend and suddenly they just drop you, they they drop off the face of the planet. And she said, man, it's really interesting because what happens is if we get into a friendship, a relationship, and we're getting to know one another, the fear of rejection can cause me to say, well, let me reject you before you reject me, ghosting. And as I've sat around Jesus' rejection, I've really reflected on moments in my life where I have felt rejected. And I see myself as a fairly secure guy, but boy, it's been a bit painful. (laughs) And sometimes it's cursory and it goes, and other times it really, really sits, doesn't it? And I know right now you're doing a deep dive into moments of fleeting rejection and moments of deep scarring rejection. I'm a soccer fan, fanatic. And a couple months ago, it was the UEFA final. We had an elders and wives time away. We were finishing as it started. I said to my son, I'll be there for the second half. He invited a few friends, raced home, actually got there after the second half, but he'd invited a few friends. They'd invited a few friends that ended up about 20 people in our lounge. I got home, and was like, hey guys. And they just like looked at me and carried on looking. And I just like, I mean, I hold them over the coals. Like your generation is just so disrespectful. <laughs> Some of them greeted me, most didn't, you know. But actually at the heart of it, honestly, they weren't that rude. I just felt rejected. I was just like, I'm, I'm in my house being rejected, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> and we struggle with that, don't we? We, we, we struggle with it. Beyond the personal moments of rejection, we live in a cultural moment where rejection is experienced from whole groups. Depending on our stance around politics and race and masks, And vaccines, we feel either acceptance or rejection, depending, we have a spirit of rejection in our culture, beloved. And we've gotta learn to discern that spirit and go, how do we not be part of that? But how do we also engage with people that are different from us that we wanna reject, but actually Jesus calls us to live a different way, amen? Lecrae, one of my favorite artists, hip-hop artist, says this, if you live for people's acceptance, you will die by their rejection. This is why it's so important that we lay hold of what is this dynamic of rejection? How do I connect with Jesus and the gospel? How does that heal me of my sense of rejection? How does it cause me to treat different people differently who do reject me? It's absolutely vital, otherwise we die from people's, Rejection, And as we dig into this about 30 verse story, you're gonna be reminded by Jesus and His words, I think you are, in Mark 12, when He experienced rejection and His disciples got all riled by it, He stopped them and He said, no, 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 I'm not rejecting you, they're rejecting me in fact, He says. And He quotes Psalm 118, He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. In other words, Jesus willingly accepted complete rejection. It was the Lord's doing, He accepted it. He actually chose to be rejected in order that you and I who put our faith in Him might be completely accepted by God. That's the gospel. That is the beautiful exchange of what we are going to read. And we're gonna read about Jesus rejected by his father in the garden, rejected by his friends, rejected by Judas, rejected by Peter in all different shades. And we're gonna turn that to what does that mean for me? What's the good news for me? So turn to verse 39 of chapter 22. And Jesus came out and went as was his custom And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and a man called Judas, one of the 12 was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out us sorry have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs when I was with you day after day in the temple you did not lay hands on me but this is your hour and the power of darkness then they seized him and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house and Peter was following at a distance and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together Peter sat down among them And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to them, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is a sobering passage, of course. We're gonna look at how Jesus accepted rejection on our behalf. So one first big idea is that Jesus was refused by His Father in the garden. Verse 39 says, the Last Supper was done. Jesus had a custom, it said, as was His custom. He went to the Mount of Olives or Mount of Olivet and there was this olive grove, Garden of Gethsemane, still there to this day. And the disciples knew that this is what Jesus did after dinner. Judas knew that this is what Jesus did after dinner and that's why he went off to get his crowd to betray and arrest him. It was his custom to have an after dinner stroll. But, but Jesus at this time was not in stroll mode, he was in fight mode and he was urging his disciples to pray, pray that you would not fall into temptation, pray for yourselves. You'd think he was saying, pray for me. He said, no, pray for yourselves that you would not Fall into temptation. In, in this passage, he only goes to them once, but actually in the Matthew passage, he goes to them three times. And we'll get to that soon. But before he goes to them, he actually prays three times. Father, verse 40, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He's praying like a stone's throw away from them about 50 yards. He's praying, take this cup if you are willing. And again, Matthew's gospel says he prays it three times. And I want us to see that Jesus' prayer is refused by his father three times. A silent no, take this cup from me. And what cup was he talking about? There's two images of the cup in the Old Testament, the one is Isaiah 51, where the cup is a picture of God's wrath. It says, God's wrath will be poured out and will make sinners fall down in their drunkenness. In other words, a righteous God had to judge sin. And Jesus knew that He would stand, the sinless one, carrying all of our sin, drinking the cup of His Father's wrath to its dregs. And what was happening was, the horror of this cup was dawning on him. He was realizing something of the agony of it. And there was such agony that it says, great drops of blood. He sweated and they hit the ground. This was Luke the doctor. He wasn't an exaggerator, he was a medical doctor. There's actually a medical term for this. It's called hematidrosis, where under intense emotional stress, blood vessels rupture in the sweat glands. So he was thinking of the cup of wrath that he would drink. But there's another picture of the cup in Psalms 115, where David says, and I will raise the cup of salvation. So Jesus was thinking of the two cups. Firstly, the cup of that he would have to drink of God's wrath. Secondly, the cup that we would drink because of his obedience. That's why he said, oh God, if, it's, if you're willing, but not my will, but yours be done. Philippians 2 says, for the joy set before him, Jesus scorned the cross, enduring its shame. He's thinking of it, but he's thinking of you and I. In other words, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath that you and I might drink the cup of God's salvation. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of it. But I want us to see that Jesus was refused by his father. He got a silent no three times. There was a kind of rejection by his father. And he could have thought, well, the father is abandoning me. But what's so beautiful is that as the father is giving the silent no, verse 43 says, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Isn't that beautiful that as the father is saying no to him, he's showing, my son, I'm not abandoning you. I'm with you. I'm sending an angel to strengthen you even though I'm saying no. Isn't it incredible that a denied prayer won our salvation? And Jesus saying yes to the cup of wrath enabled us to say, I'll say yes to the cup of salvation. You know, part of following Jesus is drinking that cup and saying, thank you that you went to the cross on my behalf, thank you, Lord. But another part of following Jesus is recognizing that if we follow Him, we will go through our own Gethsemane and we will find, as one George Morrison said, every life has its Gethsemane and every Gethsemane has its angel. Each of us will find ourselves in a place where like, Lord, I don't wanna do what you're saying I should do. No, Lord, if it's possible, if it's possible. And we get a silent no. But as we follow Jesus, we say, oh God, not my will, but yours be done. Because if such good came out of the cross where God said no to Jesus, such good can come out of my life when God says no to me and I say, your will be done. You know, if you think masks and vaccines are divisive, try sleep training techniques for parents. Yeah, parents, you got me? Early on as parents, we were given this book that is called Babywise about sleep training. And I mean, it's now almost a contraband substance to be honest, because it's kind of not very nurturing. And it's that you leave your kid to sleep. You don't feed them on demand. And you actually set up the rhythm and you let them cry. It kind of wants to break your heart. But actually, you're supposed to go in and comfort them and say, I love you. I'm not rejecting you. I love you. But you can't actually have your own way right now. And you leave them and you feed them at the right time. And the book is like, actually, number one, it's helping you to get sleep, it's teaching them to sleep. But greater than that, it's teaching them to receive no without overtones of rejection. So actually, you're teaching your kids to be healthy adults in the world. Now, I'm not preaching that sleep sleep technique, but if any of you parents are desperate, come like around 11 p.m., I'll I'll kind of open my coat and give the contraband substance to you. But, But honestly, there's a greater thing here is that actually, can your parents say no to you without you feeling rejection? Can your boss say the same? Can your pastor say the same? can God say the same? Joseph Garlington said this, whenever people come into a church, they're asking two questions. The first is, do you love me? Second, can I have my own way? You've got to answer yes to the first before you answer no to the second. I love you, I love you, can't have your own way. Part of following Jesus is realizing that we don't always get our own way. So there's an application for us, firstly, that Jesus receiving the no of the Father won us salvation, but us in our prayer lives need to receive the no at times from the Father too and trust that He has got a yes that's more glorious, Amen? amen? Secondly, Jesus is abandoned by His friends. Now we're gonna get to Peter and Judas rejecting Jesus, but these are the other 11. And they're in the garden and they're with Jesus. And he says to them, pray, I'm gonna go a stone's throw away, please pray. And again, Matthew's gospel says he went back three times and each time they were nodding off. A kind of rejection. A little bit like Kirk in my elders meetings. (laughs) That's not fair. Someone told me that they would wrap me over the knuckles if I said that again. He is one of the most encouraging men, but sometimes when I get long-winded, he shows me with his eyelids. (laughs) And I want us to see that this is a kind of rejection that is not malicious. It's not like Judas. It's actually out of weakness. It says here, it's a fascinating description. It says, he rose, he came to his disciples, verse 45, and found them sleeping for sorrow. They were sad. And their sadness caused sleepiness. And Jesus actually acknowledged that. He recognized it. And he was firm with them, but he was gracious three times. He was like, please keep praying. Please keep praying. Don't go to sleep. And then in one gospel, it says, he he describes them. He says, oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is. Sometimes your friends will reject you not out of malice, but out of weakness. There's just a sadness in their lives. There's a lack of strength. The best intentions, there's a lack of resolve. And what Jesus teaches us here is to recognize the difference between friends who let you down out of weakness versus Friends who betray you out of malice. And I want to encourage you just briefly to, to be a gracious friend when you've been let down, like Jesus was here. Don't be a one-strike and you're out friend. I'm gonna ghost you because you overslept and missed the coffee. Sometimes, I mean, people let us down for crazy reasons. Oh, I just I just forgot. Life just got the better of me. I, I, was, I was just stressed. And especially if we're super disciplined, we just wanna like, you're dead to me, that's it. Don't be a one strike and you're out friend. Don't even be a three strike and you're out friend. These guys let him down three times. And Jesus didn't ghost them. I mean, he chided them, didn't ghost them. You know, some of the best friendships that Ronell and I have cultivated over three decades are ones where there has been strain and disappointment for sometimes a decade. Take a 10 year view of your friendship. Don't be a one strike and you're out and you'll actually find yourself rich in friendship. There's the flip side to that as well. Don't fall asleep on your friends. Don't go to sleep on your friends. Don't abandon them in their darkest hour. With the Abneys, when the meal train runs out that's when you run in. I've seen that with people in the church where they have, they sick or they lose a loved one or something like that, they, they have a baby and the meal train happens and all the friends are around. And then after about a month, they're just like, whew, are the friends, be a friend. Like put it in your phone in a month's time, I'm gonna phone Frank. Let's be those kinds of friends. You know, the amazing thing, the startling thing is that we're gonna find that these same sleepy disciples that wouldn't pray even an hour with Jesus, they got real active and real militant when He was arrested. I found that in church. Passive disciples suddenly get really militant, but in the wrong ways because they're prayerless. I'm gonna be Jesus' bodyguard, man. And they start like dissing everyone. And you just wanna say, no, no, Jesus doesn't need you to be a bodyguard. He needs you to pray. He needs you to pray. And so we move on to the third rejection here where Jesus is betrayed by by Judas, verse 47 to 50. And so in the middle of his agony, in the middle of seeing his disciples fall asleep, Judas arrives with this crowd, it says, verse 47, with with a crowd. And and what's happened is he has agreed with his enemies for 30 pieces of silver, for money, to betray Jesus. Think about this betrayal, beloved. If you've been hurt by a friend, by a family member, by a colleague, think about this. Judas exploited his intimacy with Jesus for money. He exploited knowing where Jesus would be. Oh yeah, yeah, I've walked with you many times after dinner. That's where it is, guys. He exploited the active nature of kissing. It was what a disciple did to their rabbi. It was a gesture of affection and loyalty. I'm with you. And he used, he exploited that gesture of affection and intimacy for betrayal and for money. Wesby says this, a kiss is a contraction of the mouth due to an enlargement of the heart. Generally, if you kiss someone, you say, my heart's big for you. But not all kisses come from a loving heart. Some kisses can be deceitful. Judas's kiss came from a heart of treachery and hypocrisy. What Judas was doing was he was rejecting Jesus as his rabbi, rejecting Him as his Lord and Savior. And it seemed intimate with a kiss. It was actually very violent. He came with, with armed guards. And then of course we know that one of them, it says here, yeah, it was Peter. Go Peter. With the sword, cuts off the servant's ear. And look at Jesus. Look at the grace in the midst of this utter betrayal. He heals the man. Honestly, if it was you or I we would have gone, okay, I might be arrested, but we're not going out down without a fight. Thanks, Peter. At least you got an ear. I think about that. It's like either this servant was like really good at ducking, you know, dodging and weaving, or otherwise Peter was really bad at aiming, but the, why the ear? I don't know why the ear, but not a great shot. The amazing question to me though is, why did Jesus' merciful miracle healing this ear? Why did it not change the mind of those going to arrest him? Why did it not change Judas's mind? Or at the very least, the... Servant who got healed, surely it's like, oh man, no, no, we got it wrong. This guy's amazing. Let's not arrest him. Let's bow down and worship. Why? Man, it's a sobering reminder to us that while God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, where people have hardened their heart against Jesus, even the most merciful miracle will not change their minds or their hearts. It's sobering, isn't it? Oh Lord, if you come in power, everyone will repent. Not there, came in power and mercy, not there. And Jesus is just amazing in verse 53, he just says, why'd you come with swords? I mean, I was with you at the temple every day. Basically, I'm healing with this hands and I'm giving you my hands to be arrested. I'm not gonna go with the fight, here I am. It is the hour of darkness, he says. It's the hour and dominion of darkness. There's a beautiful glimpse into the faith of Jesus in the middle of crisis, where He realized it seems like darkness is winning here, right, betrayal, violence, arrest. But what Jesus is saying is, yeah, darkness has got its hour, but it's just an hour. What man intends for harm, God, my God, is gonna turn for good for the saving of many. Jesus knows darkness will have its hour, but it will not win. And I wanna ask you, at the place of your greatest, deepest wound of rejection, can you echo these words? Can we echo these words? Darkness has had its way, but darkness has just an hour. And God will turn this darkness into great joy and the saving of many. If God could do that for Jesus' rejection, He can do that through the cross for you. He can, and he will. You know, the Judas account is a bit of a warning about the love of money, isn't it? It is a warning. I mean, money is in there. Judas loved money. And he used Jesus to get more money. We have the temptation at times to love money and use Jesus or use others to get more. And I think we've gotta learn from this. Serve Jesus, use money, not the other way around. Don't use Jesus and serve money. Oh Lord, help us. The amount of friendships broken in church over the decades, over money, in business, where people start to use each other instead of using money and serving one another. There's, there's a warning, but I believe beyond there, the money piece, there's, there's a warning about our current cultural moment of deconversion. Where we see in the West, there's massive deconversion. Many high profile celebrity preachers and worship leaders and writers are deconverting, are are rejecting Jesus, are saying, well, I used to believe this about Jesus, no more. I mean, the tragedy is the song we sang, the Hillsong song, I'll stand with a few years ago. He says this, I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world. We can reject Jesus either from love of money or otherwise love of culture, love of the world, love of being accepted. Why? Because we feel that following Jesus, man, there's a rising tide of resistance towards Jesus' followers. And you know, sometimes it's our fault because sometimes we just act like jerks, but sometimes it's not our fault. It's actually Jesus saying, no, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And so there is a temptation to go, ah, I don't know if I wanna, I'd rather be accepted by the world than rejected for Jesus. There's a warning here, and I would just plead with you, beloved, as we feel the pull of culture, don't reject Jesus, stick close to Him. What does it profit anyone if they gain the whole world, gain acceptance, gain fame? gain the culture, gain approval, and lose Jesus, our pearl of great price. Don't do what, I mean, just look at what happened to Judas. He thought he got silver. Within hours, he was dead. Inside, splattered over. I mean, the Bible is so graphic about Judas's end. It's a warning. Don't reject Jesus, it's not worth it. If you find yourself wrestling with doubt, let's face it, Jesus wrestle in the garden, dignifies completely rejecting Jesus for something else that He loved. Let's do an audit of what we love. And this is it pulling us away from Jesus? And in this moment, allow His rejection to draw us near, amen? Don't exchange Jesus for a bag of money or a bag of fame or a bag of acceptance by the in crowd. Jesus told you he was a misfit. Jesus told you that he would, was the stone that the builders would reject. So actually we've got to steel ourselves for feeling a little bit like misfits from time to time. Amen. I know this is sober, man, but I just see this too much. It's crazy. And that's why it's so good, I think, to end and to land with, with Peter because while they're Judas betrayers, most of us find ourselves more where Peter is, don't we? Where Peter was, I mean, he loved Jesus, but he was in this war. And so his denial, we connect with much more, don't we? It's the fourth rejection. He's been rejected by the Father. he has been rejected by his friends, rejected by Judas, now rejected by Peter. The one who said, they could deny you, I'll never deny you, full of self-assurance, full of pride. And verse 54, there is this loaded statement about Peter. The scene moved from the garden of Gethsemane now to the high priest's house where Jesus is gonna be tried. And it says, and Peter was following from a distance. Oh, loaded statement, isn't it? I mean, I'm with you, Jesus, but not with you. I'm kind of with you. You know, in driving, they say it's safe to maintain kind of a healthy following distance, right? Not so with Jesus. Dangerous to maintain a safe following distance. I mean, it's dangerous to follow you from a distance because what we see is this progressive denial in Peter. It doesn't start off like Judas. It starts just by going, okay, Jesus, you're there. I'm just like hanging back. I'm with you, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll be there, I'll be there. But, but not there, there. And then he sits in the courtyard, which maybe is better than the other disciples. At least he's there, right? Give him some credit. But there's this progressive denial, verse 57, where he, he denies association with Jesus. Servant girl says, are you with him? He says, woman, I do not know him. And then the, the next thing is he des- denies association with the disciples. you with them, aren't you? And verse 58 says, man, I am not. Can we just see this? That denial of Jesus is progressive. It starts with following from a distance. I mean, I'm not with Him. Today, the clever people call that the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And it's a growing segment in our culture in the West. People who were formerly Christian who say, look, I am now spiritual, not religious. I have some sort of faith, but don't put me in a category. I'm not with, with, with Him. I'm just kind of with him. And then the next thing is actually denying the community. Not with him, I'm not with them. Can we just see that? That the two are very, each of us have got friends that have said something like this, oh, I love Jesus, I'm, I hate the church. Not with the church. Why, I mean, for good reason at times because they felt hurt by the church and rejected and judged, etc. But let's just face it, beloved, you can't love Jesus and hate the church. You can't. You can struggle with the church, but, but being with Jesus is, is being with his disciples. If you came to me and you said, Alan, I really dig you, I've got a real problem with your wife. I mean, good luck with, no one ever says that anyway. <laughs> they might say that to her about me, right? <laughs> can I hang with you, Ronal? That guy, that guy, I don't know, I'm not so sure about him. But, but if you said that to me, I mean, good luck with that. You ain't hanging with me and having an issue with my wife. The church is Jesus' wife. And Jesus of all people knows that his wife is not perfect. As Martin Luther said back in the day, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. And we can say, oh, the church is broken, but actually she's my mother. She's Jesus' wife. I wanna tell you, when you start to reject the church, you're on your way to denial. Or at the very least, you're on your way to a little God made in your own image because you won't be with people that will rub the corners off you. Accept the gift of the disciples, beloved, in all their warts and all. Can I get a little Presbyterian amen? Pentecostal amen, maybe? And then there's this final denial where... Verse 59, he just says, man, I do not know what you're talking about. I mean, I'm not with him. I'm not with them. What are you talking about? Who is this guy even? And then the rooster crows. And it says, and Jesus looked at Peter. I mean, can you imagine Peter? Those eyes of kindness and grace and trust. I mean, Jesus had taken such risks with Peter. Peter who just lived with his foot in his mouth. And it says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Look, I know that there is a reality that deconstructing faith, how many of you have heard of the term deconstructing faith? Deconstructing is different from deconverting. There is healthy deconstructing. There's unhealthy too. But part of deconstructing faith is going, look, I realize I grew up in a faith believing some truth, but also there's some culture around it and I kind of need to deconstruct it. I need to take the husk off the kernel and find the kernel. You need to deconstruct the husk. All of us to some degree are doing that, it's okay. My kids grew up in children's ministry and decade ago, we had a particular children's ministry director who insisted on soaking time for our kids. And they would have to bring their pillow and they'd have have like 30 minutes of listening to worship and they'd have to come up with a prophetic word. Whenever we talk about soaking time, my kids just roll their eyes and just go, what the heck was that? (laughs) And I agree. That was weird and we had to put a stop to it. But then I challenge my kids and I say, don't roll your eyes whenever we talk about praying and the prophetic, because actually there's a kernel that we've got to hold on to. We ditch the husk. You don't need your pillow to hear from God. You don't need a 30 minute soaking time, but we do need the prophetic for heaven's sake, Amen." amen. See, all of us are having to deconstruct in some way. But boy, you better be open to God deconstructing you. I don't think you can deconstruct him without him deconstructing you. Because what was happening here was that Peter was getting deconstructed. He wept and he repented because he repented of his pride and his self-reliance. And at this point he was like, I am not your bodyguard, Jesus. I'm just a man in need of mercy. and I'm loving starting to read. I follow very carefully people who deconstructed who are now returning to their first love. It's happening, it's gonna happen more. You know why? Because Jesus is a restorer of people who weep at their own sin. Jesus was rejected in threes. Rejected by his father three times, rejected by his friends three times, now rejected by his friend Peter three times. He denies him. And the beautiful thing is that around another fire, post resurrection, Jesus would restore Peter three times. Don't laugh at me. (laughs) Get your pillow, go and soak. (laughs) three times around the fire john 21 post-resurrection peter do you love me feed my sheep peter do you love me feed my lambs peter do you love me take care of my lambs there was a restoring a beautiful restoring of this denier and that's the picture of the gospel jesus willingly accepted rejection from my father, from my friends, from my chief accountant, from my chief body, God, I, bring it on, give it more, give it more, it's agony, it's agony, but I'm gonna receive it, I'm gonna absorb it like poison and I'm gonna turn it to restore you, restore deniers, restore people wrestling in the crisis of faith of their lives, that is what Jesus did. He received all manner of rejection, that we might stand accepted before God. Our deepest fear is not rejection from people, it's rejection from God. I've done something too terrible. Look at Peter, (laughs) look at Peter and rejoice. Maybe weep first and then rejoice. Oh, if God could restore and accept Peter, he can do the same with me. That's the joy, that's the joy. Of course, there's much to learn. About not rejecting others and being gracious like Jesus. But let's first come to the stone who was rejected by the builders, who is the chief cornerstone, and let it be marvelous in your eyes. Marvelous in your eyes. Let's pray. We're going to sing that old chorus I'm forgiven. Because you were forsaken, I'm accepted. You were condemned. And we're gonna sing and we're gonna go and take the cup of salvation because Jesus took the cup of wrath. We're gonna rejoice. But before we do that, I wanna give you an opportunity. If you fear, the rejection of God, because you have done something unforgivable, but you have seen in Jesus' life and in Peter's life that, oh, he was rejected on my behalf, that I might be accepted. And you're saying today, I am rejecting a spirit of rejection, putting my faith in Jesus, and I'm coming near to God because of what he did. Won't you quickly put up your hand? Love to see. Is there anyone here? Lights are dark. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we are accepted. So we bring our spirit of rejection to you. Won't you heal us? Won't you fill us with bold confidence? that we are accepted in the beloved. In Jesus' name, amen.